Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was speaking about the Great Commission, where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And I was explaining in the previous program that I believe that the word baptizing needs to be translated, that this word was not translated, it was transliterated. If we translate the word, then this would read, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I was explaining that I believe he was telling the disciples to immerse people in the knowledge of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to disciple the people, to instruct the people, to introduce to them and encourage them to continue to pursue a knowledge and understanding of the true and living God, that I believe he was using the word immerse in that context. However, if he was encouraging the disciples to baptize in water, then that would be consistent with their behavior afterwards because they did continue to baptize people in water after the Lord Jesus gave them this commission. And so regardless of whether he encouraged them to immerse people in his name or in the name of the living God or immerse them in water, regardless of that, they did continue to immerse people in water. Now, again, my perspective, my opinion is that he was not encouraging them to immerse people in water, but instead immerse people in the knowledge. When I take that position, though, I still believe that they are going to baptize people or immerse them in water. I see them doing that. There's plenty of evidence to show that they were doing that. It's just that I don't believe that they were doing that because of what we call the Great Commission. I don't believe that that is why they were doing that. They didn't need the Great Commission to do that because the purpose of baptism to the disciples During the time of the Lord Jesus, before the time of the Lord Jesus, the purpose of immersion in water had to do with the conversion of a Gentile to Judaism and also through John the Baptist it was introduced that a Jew could have an opportunity to rededicate their lives to the law of Moses, to a life in Judaism. And so from that point of view, the question that needs to be asked and answered, of course, is were the disciples still encouraging people to devote their lives to obedience to the Mosaic Law. Were they still encouraging people to do that? Because if they were, then we would expect that they would be immersing people in water as part of the conversion process. For the Gentile, this would be a conversion to Judaism, and for a Jew, this would be a rededication of their lives under the Mosaic Law. Is that what the disciples were doing? Well, according to the Great Commission, the Lord Jesus told them to go out and tell people to obey all that he commanded. What did he command? During his ministry, the Lord Jesus taught 
the Mosaic Law. And so we should expect the disciples to go out and continue to tell people to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. Were they doing that? Do we have any evidence for that? Well, of course we have some evidence for that. If you were to go into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, there was a discussion that took place in Jerusalem with all of the disciples, all of the apostles, all of the elders. James was there. Paul was there. Everybody was there. Everybody was in town to address the question of whether or not the Gentiles needed to be circumcised and live in obedience to the law of Moses. So certainly, the church was teaching people to live in obedience to all that Jesus commanded, at least up until Acts chapter 15. Now, in Acts chapter 15, there was a decision that was made that the Gentiles did not have to live in obedience to the law of Moses, with the exception of a few that James encouraged them to obey, but the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. Now, was this question asked with regards to the Jews? No, it was not. And so, by default, you could suggest that the church was still going to teach the Jews to live in obedience to the law of Moses and to be circumcised. But my point in mentioning this is to give evidence to show that the church was teaching all things that Jesus commanded that people should obey, which was the law of Moses. The Lord Jesus taught the law of Moses because that was the covenant that was in effect until after he died. When he died, he rose from the dead. The new covenant went into effect. But the disciples, the apostles, did not understand the implications of the forgiveness that our God provided for us. They did not understand that right away. They did not understand the meaning of the new covenant and the new life that we now have in the Messiah because of what he did. They did not understand that right away. That was the argument between the church in Jerusalem and the Apostle Paul. Let me give you an example of this. Consider the fact that in Acts chapter 15, they were asking the question, does a Gentile need to obey the law of Moses? Now, what would happen if I got on the radio today and I said, folks, listen to me for a second. I hear that a number of you who are listening to me are Gentiles, and I'm really impressed with the fact that you folks have decided to learn about to be a part of the ministry of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. I'm really excited for you. However, there's something you need to do. You need to adjust everything about your life, change everything about the way you live, so that you will live in obedience to the law of Moses, all of the law. And if you can't handle all of the law right away, that's okay. Just start with maybe 10 or 20 commandments, and then add a few more every day or every week until you finally get it right. And if you'd like any guidance concerning that, I'm sure we can come up with some great strategies or some great principles for daily living so that you can be sure that you never come within the boundaries of violating any of the Mosaic laws. If I said something like that, I would hope that you would be polite and kind and say something like, Aaron, that sounds really interesting, but I think you need to mature a little bit in your faith. Well, if that's the case, if that's the case, if I say it, then what are you going to think of the apostles say it? If the disciples say it, is it okay for them to say that and I can't say that today? That is an example. That is an illustration to show you that the early church did not have it all together right away. I did a complete study on the book of Acts verse by verse. 30 messages. I'm not going to try to duplicate that in this series. This series is about baptism, but I would like to encourage you to contact me for CDs. There's 15 CDs, 
or you can download the programs for free off of the radio archive that I have at livinggodministries.net. Listen to those programs where I talk about the development of the early church verse by verse. But in the context of baptism, I want you to see that the early church did exactly what Jesus taught them, exactly what Jesus encouraged them to do. They taught people to do all that Jesus commanded, and this is to be expected because the implications of the New Covenant were not revealed right away. It was very difficult for people to embrace that. The Apostle Paul spoke about it all the time. He revealed it very well. But he was in the minority when it came to the ministry of the Lord Jesus and the perpetuation of the knowledge of what Jesus did. Consider another example. What if I told you that if you wanted to be saved and you're a Gentile, what would you think if I told you that you would have to first become a Jew before you could be saved, that you have to be properly converted to Judaism before you can be saved. What would you think if I said something like that? I would hope you would think something like, Aaron, that sounds pretty interesting, but you need to mature a little bit in your faith, because no, a Gentile does not have to become a Jew before they can be saved. But when did the church discover this? Acts chapter 11. It was Acts chapter 11 when they discovered that a Gentile could be saved before first becoming a Jew. So if they discovered that a Gentile could be saved without first becoming a Jew, in Acts chapter 11, it was actually Acts chapter 10, that Peter discovered this, and he reported it to the church in the beginning of Acts chapter 11. If this is when it was discovered, then you should expect the disciples, you should expect the church to convert any Gentile who wants to believe in Jesus, to Judaism before they are allowed or before they are permitted or before they are expected to believe in the Lord Jesus and become a part of the church, a part of the body of the Messiah, the body of Christ. You should expect to see some examples concerning that. And sure enough, if you look between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 11, you will see several examples of the church baptizing people baptizing Gentiles to convert them to Judaism, and then they can believe in the Lord Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, and be saved. Baptizing proselytes who had already converted to Judaism, but who were recommitting or rededicating their lives to the law of Moses in light of what Jesus did and what Jesus taught, which was the law of Moses and the Jews as well rededicated their lives through baptism to recommit themselves to living a life of obedience to all that Jesus commanded, which was to live in obedience to the law of Moses. And so the disciples did not need a great commission from the Lord Jesus to continue the baptismals that they were already performing, the immersions in water. They did not need the Great Commission to accomplish that. They were doing that just because of their beliefs concerning salvation, how a person could get saved, what the requirements would be for salvation, and how a person would be expected to live their daily lives after they turned to the Lord Jesus for who he is. Now, having said all of that, I can now go into the book of Acts and I can address the individual verses that people refer to in order to support various points of views concerning baptism. Baptism in water, immersion in water. I can now go into the book of Acts and address the individual verses, the passages in the scriptures, one at a time, that people refer to in order to support their points of view. 
I can do that now. But again, I'm not going to do a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. I've already done that. In this context, I'm only going to point out the key passages that people have a concern about, a legitimate concern. These things need to be addressed. But again, I'm doing so on the basis of the previous nine programs that I have done on the subject of baptism. And so if you have not heard the previous nine programs, or at least the first three or four, if you have not heard the earlier programs, it's going to be very difficult for you to follow me when I go through these passages. This is unfortunate. It is unfortunate just because this subject is so huge that I have to handle it a piece at a time, and it requires me to spread the subject out over several hours of content, which I cannot broadcast all at once. I only get 30 minutes a day, and so this is it. I would like to encourage you to contact me for the CDs, listen to the programs on the Radio Archive. If you haven't heard those programs yet, bear with me and just try to glean as much as you can. Now, before I get into the individual passages found in the book of Acts that are related to the subject of baptism, there's one more thing that I'd like to address, and that is that people make an assumption about the book of Acts that I believe is invalid. The assumption that people make is, first of all, that the apostles had it all together right away. And as I was just explaining, they did not have it all together right away. And the example that I used was that they thought that a Jew should live in obedience to the Mosaic law and that a Gentile did not necessarily have to. And they didn't address this question until Acts chapter 15, which means that before Acts chapter 15, they believed something different. And so that's one example to show that the apostles did not have it all together right away. And the other part of this assumption that people make is that The book of Acts was written for the purpose of giving an example for us to follow so that if we want to address the subject of baptism or we want to address the subject of tongues or other subjects related to salvation or living the Christian life, then all we need to do is go into the book of Acts and observe what the people did in the book of Acts and through our observations of these people, through studying the historical record that we have of the book of Acts, through doing that, we can extract what we need to do in order to live the Christian life. People do this in order to try and establish churches or regenerate churches that are otherwise falling apart. They go back to the book of Acts and try to simulate what was taking place back then, assuming that if they did, then everything will begin to blossom like it did back then. People make a lot of assumptions, a lot of false assumptions. This is a false assumption. Luke told us that the reason why he wrote the book of Acts was to record the events that took place, what happened, what people did, and what they said so that his friend Theophilus could be informed concerning what happened. Luke did not write the book of Acts saying, so that you may know how to be saved, I am writing this book. He did not say that. He did not say, so that you might know how to develop your church, I am writing this book. He did not say, so that you may know how to live the Christian life, I'm writing this book. He never said anything like that. He made no claim to that effect. But people go into the book of Acts making these assumptions, and when they do this, they come out with all kinds of mistakes and errors, and they generate a lot of confusion. Let me give you a clear example with regards to baptism. If you go into the book of Acts and you study the events that took place, and you study how people got saved and how baptism was a part of that experience that people were having. Here's what people do. They go into the scriptures and they collect all the passages. They look at all the verses that talk about baptism in the book of Acts, and they assemble them all together, put them all into one pile, 
figure out or try to figure out how they can all be reconciled in a very cohesive way, and then they come to a conclusion. But it doesn't work that way, does it? If you try to do that, this is what you're going to find out. You're going to find out something like this. Sometimes people were baptized in water before they received the Holy Spirit. Other times, they received the Holy Spirit first, and then they were baptized in water. For example, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, people were baptized in water, and then they received the Holy Spirit. And we know that that was the order of the events, because that was how it was recorded, for one thing. And the other thing was that our God gave his endorsement of what happened and revealed to us that people got saved by intervening in the circumstances and providing the miracle of being able to speak in other languages to ensure that there was clear communication between the individuals involved. I did a complete study on the subject of tongues entitled The Gift of Tongues. You can contact me for CDs or you can download those programs for free off of my radio archive where I talk about the subject of tongues and that it was clearly defined, clearly defined, especially in Acts chapter 2, as a known language and that the miracle was that there was no confusion between the individuals who were participating and experiencing this manifestation of the Spirit. Today, however, we have something that is the complete opposite, where there is nothing but confusion and people have no idea what is being said. That's what's happening today, which I believe has no relationship to what happened back then. Of course, I'm not saying that that means that the living God is not participating in what's happening today. doesn't mean that, although I don't believe that that's the case, but not for that reason. I wouldn't use that reason to try to justify why I don't believe that the gift of tongues as it is described today in the modern context has anything to do with the biblical tongues that I do actually believe still exist to this day. It's just that it doesn't happen enough to be publicized as the other form is, and I personally believe that that's reasonable considering that the other form, in my opinion, is self-generated and something that's out of the flesh. But in the context of baptism, this is the point, that our God provided us with that miracle so that we would know that somebody received the Holy Spirit. That was the main purpose for that miracle, not to just provide a manifestation of God, but to show us an important truth that people did not know until he confirmed it by the power of his Spirit. The point is is that in Acts chapter 2, people were baptized in water, and then they received the Holy Spirit. But if you continue to read, consider Acts chapter 10. What happened at the end of Acts chapter 10? Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit, and that was validated by our God through the manifestation of the gift of tongues, and then they were baptized in water. Now, which one are you going to pick? Are you going to pick Acts chapter 2, or are you going to pick the end of Acts chapter 10? Because there is no way that you're going to be able to consider both of them simultaneously unless you say something like, well, you know, sometimes you're baptized in water before you get saved and other times you're saved and then you get baptized in water. What kind of a conclusion is that? I mean, seriously, people, what kind of a conclusion is that? That's not a conclusion. 
That's like the almond joys and mounds commercial. Sometimes you feel like a nut, and sometimes you don't. That's what that is. What kind of a conclusion is that? But that's exactly what people do. And you know what? I understand because they don't have an alternative. Because if you assume that the Book of Acts was written for that purpose, that's all you're going to be able to conclude. That's all you're going to be able to come to. So how do people cope with that? Well, they either say, like I said, that sometimes it happens one way, sometimes it happens another way. Who knows? Other people, the way they handle it is they exclude certain passages in the scriptures. They will say, "Well, we're just going to remember Acts chapter two, and we'll not bother with Acts chapter ten right now." Or they'll say, "Let's just remember and focus." On Acts chapter ten right now, and not think too much about Acts chapter two. That's how people end up having to deal with that. Now there are other ways. For example, there is an academic approach called dispensational theology, and in dispensational theology, they will say that at one time it was one dispensation, and at another time it was another dispensation, and that works for the most part. I don't believe that that's necessary. I do believe that that is a very good conclusion if you were to approach the scriptures from an academic point of view. And I know academic exercises. I was an academic for a long time, teaching in the highest levels of education in the university system. I know what it is to go through an academic exercise. I know what it is to pick up a book and study the book in order to know the book and the content and the material that is in the book. I know exactly. How people can do that, how that's done, the various methodologies. But let me tell you something: the scriptures are totally different, completely different, because this book is the testimony of a person. That's what we have. We have the testimony of a person, and you might memorize the scriptures and think that's highly impressive. But I know people who have memorized the scriptures to such an extent that in their Bibles, if you quote a chapter and verse, they'll tell you what the chapter and verse is on the other side of that page in their Bible. I know people who know memorization really well, but they totally reject Jesus as their Messiah. And with a conclusion like that, that is a clear illustration to me, a clear example that you might know the scriptures, but you do not know the God who wrote the scriptures. And to fall short there is a failure, a total failure on our part to experience the real reason why our God has provided us with His written testimony. And so, when it comes to the subject of baptism, or various subjects that people try to address by going through the Book of Acts. It's very important to realize that if you try to draw conclusions by examples, you're going to encounter contradictions that you're not going to be able to reconcile. Now, in my opinion, it is my opinion that our God has inspired and structured the Scriptures in such a way that there is no way that we are going to understand this subject or the other various subjects that I'm referring to. By studying the scriptures, that we have to know more. We have to know the person who wrote them. We also have to know the history of baptism and how that was applied and how the people viewed it. That there is not enough information given in that one text in order to use it for the purpose that I believe our God intended. And so that's why I spent so much time talking about the history of baptism and why I refer to the importance of knowing your God so much. Because when it comes to situations like this, if you do not have that proper foundation, you're going to be the perfect candidate to be victimized by whatever theology may come along that makes sense. And even though it makes sense, you can still miss out on the real intent and purpose of the issue.
And so with that, I'm going to go ahead and begin in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's now gathering his disciples together. In verse 4, it says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Why would they ask something like that, restoring the kingdom of Israel? He just told them that the Holy Spirit will be given to them not many days from now. You know why they said that? They said that because they didn't have any idea what he was talking about. When did they understand what he was talking about? He said that John baptized with water, but they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is a different baptism. And it went right over their heads. They had no idea what he was talking about. And I can give you several examples throughout the next few chapters that show that, in my opinion. They had no idea what he was talking about until Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, Peter remembers what Jesus said to him. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 15, it says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. He's referring to Cornelius and his household. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was Acts chapter 11 when Peter remembered what Jesus had to say, and when Peter began to understand what he meant. And I believe that the reason why he got a hold of this in Acts chapter 11 is because in Acts chapter 10, the Lord showed Peter that being baptized in water did not save anyone and had no part in the salvation of anyone. And until the Lord took that away from him, the Lord took water baptism away from Peter by saving Cornelius and his household before Peter had the opportunity to baptize them in water. Before he could do that, the Lord saved them. And he said in verse 17, Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? That's what he said. And it was here that the church discovered the true meaning of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net